Hello, Texans. I'm Susanna, and this is The Susanna Gibbs Show. Now, I know most of you are from Texas who are listening to this, but there are some of you who are not. And I want to tell you a little bit about Texas. Texas is big. It takes pretty much all day to drive from one side. Not pretty much, it does. It takes all day to drive from one side of Texas to the other. There've been people who've called and said, hey, I just got into Texas. And we're like, we'll see you in eight hours. So that level of determination, it requires a level of grit as well. And then there's this other myth that we all grew up with, that Texas chose to be here. That at any time, Texan can, Texas can choose to secede from the rest of the United States. That's a whole other story. But if you have a level of determination and grit and you chose to be here, I think you can be a Texan too. Our next guest is, he's a lot of fun actually. His name is Andrew. He's a lender and a real estate advisor. And you know, we have these podcasts, which we talk to artists, we talk to entrepreneurs, we talk to idealists about how they do it and why they do it. And as an insurance agent, I get the opportunities to revisit with my clients year after year. How's it going? What's going on? What's changed? And as this podcast develops, we'd love to have our guests back. And so this is one of those, I'm kind of excited to have him back to see whatever he's been up to over the past year. At the end of this, we're going to give you an insurance tip, trick, story to send you out into the world a little bit smarter, more knowledgeable. So yeah, thank you for choosing to be here with me today. And now on with the show. On the podcast with me today, we have Andrew Postel, and he is here to talk to us about all things real estate investing. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Susanna. Great honor for me to be here. Thank you. So before we get into the real estate investing, which everybody's going to want to know about, um, walk me back to where when you graduated from high school, you took an interesting career path. Oh, yeah, my interesting career path was I joined the United States Marines. It was a very good experience for me. It was very hard, but I needed something to iron out a few wrinkles in my life, personality, work ethic, and it really helped. So that was my interesting career choice. Well, you know, I think there's something, there's there's kind of a mystique to the Marines. Not that there's not, every, I think, armed force has their own thing, but there's something about the Marines, man. It's like, are you a little bit tougher to go into the Marines? Or there's just like, there's a mindset difference. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm trying to say? I have no idea. All we did no? was just go on little hikes and have picnics and camp out. It was so much fun. I think I sent some sarcasm. <laughs> it's the easiest branch out of them all. That's really what it is. For real? It, it does some things like all of the military branches have their usefulness and poignancy. Uh, in the family, we can pick on each other. But if you're a civilian, 
you're not allowed. All right, so just think that we're all the same, and that's a good neutral place for us to be. Of course, okay. we all have pride in ourselves, but it's if you did any military service anywhere, good for you. That's a terrific honor. And where did you um, go when you were in the Marines? Oh, goodness. Uh, Korea, uh, Japan. I was in California, North Carolina. Yeah, it was great. I, I saw the world. What was it like in Korea? Korea was... You know, the thing that I remember about Korea the most was the rice. Getting rice directly off of a field and not prepackaged, dried, and shipped. Like, it was the best rice on the planet. I could live on that rice, but it's not the rice we get. It's fresh from, like, they harvest it, and you can go to, like, a little shack, pick up your own rice, eat it. It's amazing. That's what rice really is, and you understand why that part of the world lives on it. It's so yummy. So were you in conflict at all during your time in the Marines? No, I was a peacetime warrior. I missed everything. I, mi I was in the 90s, so when I joined, the first Desert Shield was wrapping up. And then when I got out, I got out right before 9-11. I missed it all. Did you consider joining back when 9-11 happened? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wrestling with what I should say here, but let's just say... I told my significant other at the time that if we were going to be there for more than nine months, I was I was going back in. And then the president landed on the aircraft carrier and said it was all over, and I believed him. Hmm. Yeah, gotcha. All right. And then out of all the places that you went as a Marine, what was your favorite? The favorite is the one you're always at. You know, that's the one that's your favorite. The one where you have the relationships, your current ones. For me, I loved all, every state, every duty station. It was great because the people there are what made them great. When you're in there, it is definitely a tight-knit brotherhood. Like you look out for each other. At least that's the spirit of it. Sometimes there's some laxing of it, but every single duty station had its great relationships and pros to be there. So I love them all. Sounds like a pretty positive experience overall. Now that I'm out, I can only think of the, you know, the good times when you're in. <laughs> it's definitely different. <laughs> Is there anything from your time in the Marines that you learned that you take with you and you apply in kind of your daily, your daily life, your daily work? Oh, there's so many things. Okay, there's too many to list. And some of them are... All right, top, know, top three. Top three is making sure that you're... Entry-level employees at your company get treated better than the higher-ups. In the Marines, privates ate first. Just in case food ran out, the generals didn't get any because their life was pretty sweet, all right? The second one, it sounds so weird, but I make my bed every single day. I make it very nice and neat, and I come home every day to a nice and neat bed. It's just a good way to start the day. It's a routine, but it you start and end in a great place. And the third thing is just outwork everybody else. You may not be as smart and as talented, but if you can outwork, then that usually compensates for any um, shortcomings you might have. That's a great segue into uh, what you do now in your job. Um, describe what you do to, and when you meet somebody at a cocktail party over beverages and they're like, oh, Andrew. What is it that you do? Oh, it's so boring what I do. So I try not to even bring it up because so my regular nine to five, uh, although I work nine to nine job, is I'm a loan officer. 
and I'm in the top 1% of the whole country as a loan officer. I do very well. But I have a side hustle. In my side hustle, I've been doing for 20 years, and that's investing in real estate. I've been a real estate investor longer than I've been a loan officer, and I'm very fortunate to be in both fields. Do you tell people at that, in this, you know, made-up scenario cocktail party, do you say I'm a loan officer or do you say I'm a real estate investor? Suzanne, I'm so, I'm so, so terrible in public places. Like, if there's a, is there a dog around? Maybe I'll go hang in the dog a little bit. You know, there's a, there's Dogs a and of, kids. Yeah, it's like I try very hard to be social and outgoing. Um, I still struggle with it. But usually in a cocktail party, I want to ask the questions and be the listener and not talk about myself very much. Mm, gotcha. So what do you think as, because I know everybody wants to be a real estate investor. They want to get into it. What is the number one thing? I want to do this two ways. The number one thing that people ask you and the number one thing that you tell them. The number one thing that I tell them is that only 4% of Americans have two properties. Two. Only 4% have two. It's really, really hard. It's really hard. I mean, homeownership by itself is very difficult right now. Finding affordable housing, mm, it is in the headlines, people debate it, and it is necessary to do so because a hard-working, I mean, gosh, the regular average family cannot get a house right now, and that's very bad. That's not good for society and our economy. So the number one thing I tell people is like, hey, it's really hard to do this if you can do it at all, you're going to be very thankful that you did. But I don't want to sugarcoat how hard it is. Now, the number one thing that people ask me is, how do I get started? And usually I tell them, hey, let's get started on your own primary home. If you don't own any homes, you don't even know if you like real estate. Real estate might be not your thing at all. So let's start with your own home first and then feel it out. And if you like it, then we'll go to the other ones. What determines whether... I mean, you like having your own home. You like doing the own maintenance or the permanence of it. The people are so different. I mean, everybody's different, right? Sometimes just being in debt drives some people crazy. I can't yeah. be in debt. I'm just, I lose sleep. All right, maybe this is not your platform to invest. Um, so sometimes people can't understand the concepts of it until they're in it. And sometimes you just need that real world experience to figure out yourself what you dig. We're talking about investing. So when I speak about investing, I mean your extra money you know, that you have. So you got to live below your means. I got to sacrifice. Yeah. Buying a house causes me to sacrifice anyway. Yep. That's why only 4% of Americans do it. What's your stance on debt? Because I know, like, I was talking to my dad once and I said, man, this business debt I'm carrying, he's like, it's just, it's good debt though. You know, the phrase good debt, people are like, it's good debt. You write it off. Who cares that you're carrying debt? Yeah, th this goes back to people's personalities, right? There are some debt gurus out there that have very extreme perspectives on debt. And rightfully so, the people that they are speaking to are hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and they're making 20,000 a year. Like they need to have a very rigid in your face opinion to get them back on track. So if you're responsible, you're not in that category, but some people need to be in that category. I'm like you. Well, maybe, you're, I don't know, I don't wanna assume too much. 
I'm millions of dollars in debt. Okay, Suzanne, I'm, I'm millions of dollars in debt. But I have millions more in real estate value. That you're so, making yeah. money off of. So, yes. Yep. What is the deal with, have you seen a big difference as Airbnb has become more popular? Has it changed the real estate investment landscape? The thing that's really changed the real estate investing landscape the most is the online presence of people who talk about things that aren't accurate, let's call it. Accuracy is not really um, the selling point to a lot of these commercials or videos that we might see online. The thing that gets your attention is how sexy they are. Look at all this money I make without doing any work. That's not the reality of it. Short-term rentals are a viable platform if you know what to expect. They are tons of work. Tons. Imagine somebody leaving your home every day, having to clean it. You know, you got to have three sets of linens, all these. And there's a lot of money that you have to use out of your own. I mean, you got to furnish the property. You know, how much? 10, 20,000 to furnish some of these homes? So the amount of money you need to, to enter it is a lot larger than a traditional long-term property. I don't want to bash it. Every time that I go travel, I stay in a short-term rental because I love the flexibility of it and the privacy. I'm in a hotel. I have neighbors. I get loud. They get loud. You know, there's all sorts of benefits to it, but the cons just need to be out there in a realistic way so that people know what to expect. You can certainly make money, but the right expectations need to be out there too. What do you say to, there's some, like, because I've heard people, the Airbnb economy industry mm -hmm. is ruining the housing market because there's so many investors grabbing up the homes that would normally be going to single families who are trying to buy homes. Yeah. I think that this is a uh, very pertinent critique of any real estate investor, me included. I have multiple properties. Those properties are not there for the average person to purchase. I think that's a fair critique of it. So, okay. Didn't think yeah. you were going to go there. Yeah. Bro, okay. I mean, let's be honest about what it is. Like, we live in a Western society where what's enough? There's no definition of enough, and but yet we're still pressed to continually have more and more and more and more. I'm probably okay for the rest of my life. Why do I need more? I don't know. There's just something in me. So, yeah, I can bring any criticalness of the platform. I think... A lot of it needs to be spoken about and debated for sure. Do you think the different uh, cities, towns, states even that are looking to shrink the Airbnb industry are going to make a dent in what you do? or Not in what I do, no. And, and not really in what they do either. So let's say today all short-term rentals are outlawed in my town. Okay. All Which I they did in Dallas, right? Dallas yeah. is like, we're cutting you off. And there's several cities across the country that have been doing this. So if I have a short-term rental property, I just have to do a small little adjustment in my business model and just do midterm rentals. I'm still going to be a multimillionaire. Is it really that big of a deal? I don't know. You know, I'm in the industry, so I can kind of be critical of us in a way. But there's lots of neighborhoods and towns and cities that do short-term rentals very well. And it's the, it's the residential neighborhoods that are, you know, like the suburban home places that are like, hey, we don't want these crazy parties going on in, on a school night for my children. Again, I think that's, that's a valid point. 
but there's lots of beach towns and communities where they do support them. So I don't know. I think you can still make money doing that model, just in a little bit different of a method. How many properties do you have? Do you share that information or no? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have 15 right now, and at the end of the year, I will have 17. Good for you. Are they all in Texas? They are now, yeah. I just, I'm under contract on my last Florida home, so I had a bunch of properties in Florida. I'm under contract on my last one, and it closes on July 15th, and then I'll buy two more here in Texas. Very good. What do you think the hardest thing is about what you do? Yeah, it's the capital and the time and the energy and the sacrifice that you have to make to get to this point. I mean, think of all the things that I missed out because I was trying to make more and be successful. I mean, you miss out on a lot. It's almost like a loneliest spot to be there, but these are all small things, really. But that's the hardest point is not really knowing how much it takes mm -hmm. in the beginning. You don't know how much sacrifice you have to do. Do you feel but successful now? It's, oh, yeah, yeah. I never thought yeah. it would be here. Never thought. Okay. To me, to me, it's worth it. This is, for me, um, this is where I always wanted to be. Do you, um, like, are you a goal setter as far as you're like, because you said, I want to have 17 by the end of the year. And then will you add on to that next year? Oh, sure, sure. So, Susanna, when I first got started, my goal was, $30,000 homes. That was my goal. Okay. All I needed was $30,000 $30, homes. And all right, then you'll be fine. It'll be fine. I don't own any $30,000 homes anymore, though. So um, through time, you update your goals. But yeah, I do believe in setting goals. Sometimes they need to be a little unrealistic, so you keep reaching for it. But 30 is still a good point. I just got rid of the $30,000 mark. What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Oh, Are you a uh, perpetually positive person? You kind of seem like it. Thank you. I appreciate you. <laughs> Please be around <laughs> me more. I need it. Uh, uh, the thing that gets me out of bed every day are my two dogs. They do not let you sleep in. I don't have children. My, my wife and I, we've decided not to have children. It's just a personal choice for us. But we love rescuing dogs. We've rescued dogs our entire marriage, to time together. So every day you got two dogs, they, they're like, I don't want to equate them to children, but they're like an alarm clock. They will make sure that you're out of bed. What kind of dogs are they? They're both mutts. We even had them, the two that we have right now, we've even had them tested. I mean, the, the most of any gene is 17%. So they're yeah. almost true mutts. They're great dogs. Where do you rescue them from? Yeah, there's a, there's a no-kill shelter in Grand Prairie, which is right outside of Dallas here. And um, we go there every few years. We actually donate some money to them, and it's a good cause that we believe in. And we go there and try to save as many as we can. Oh, that's so nice. What are their yeah. names? Phoebe and Finnegan. Phoebe and Finnegan. Aw. Uh -huh. yep. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have to get some pictures from you at some point so we can, we can post them. Everybody loves pictures of dogs. Yes. What do you do on days when... You know, everybody has a hard day. Do you have a mantra or a, a thing that you fall back on to help you kind of get back into your positive state of mind? Ooh. So, yeah, this has been a big struggle of mine. You know, I've there's an element of me that's like, oh, I can do everything on my own. I can do it, you know, on, by myself. And it's okay to have that for a while, but 
even during COVID, Suzanne, like I was all by myself. I came into the office. I turned on the alarm. You know, like nobody came into the building. I was like, this is cool. And then after about six months, you're like, this is terrible. Nobody should live like this. So even on the toughest days, the hardest days, having a good network of other people to hang out with and socialize with, it does give me a good reset. So I've actually I've got a good group of cigar buddies. We have a cigar once a month. It gives us a two-hour time frame where we're not doing anything, and we all feel the same way about it. It's like almost a necessity for us to do it every month to reset a little bit. You know, it's so funny how much... I just wonder at one point if we'll stop talking about COVID. Every single interview we've done, there's always a, well, before COVID or this changed from COVID. Like, COVID comes up all the time, you know? In any conversation, I think with anybody you meet, there's a there's part of it was COVID and how much it affected the whole landscape. But it's it was, curious, at, at what point will we stop talking about COVID? The only time we'll stop talking about it is when the next terrible thing happens. So before COVID, it was the housing crisis. What was, what'd you do before the house? You know, before that, it was, oh, what about before 9-11, you know? 9-11, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, Maybe this will be the last thing that we ever talk about. (laughs) (laughs) You being perpetually positive. Mm -hmm. Well, if people want to get with you and talk with you more about how they can get into real estate investment, how how can they find you? Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. I post pictures of my dogs all the time on Instagram. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. You can just look up Andrew Postel. I'm also on the Facebook Reach out to me anyway. I've got, you know, you can just Google me. I have a website and some sort of a presence. My phone number is always easily available. You can call me at any time. Certainly here to help. Excellent. Well, if they need anything from lending to real estate investment, they seem like they would be in good hands. Is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to mention? No, thanks so much for having me, Susanna. Terrific time. Thank you. This was fun. You, you were really fun. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. He may not be perpetually positive, but he does seem like he has a good mindset about it. And I liked how when he talked about the Marines, he really talked about how he seems to focus on the good things. I won't say he only remembers the good things because I don't want to put words in his mouth. And I don't think that's what he said, but that's what I got from it. Focus on the good. I'm going to focus on the good today, too. I'm looking forward to having him back. I can't wait to see what he's been up to over the past year. What kind of trouble he's stirred up for himself in a good way. And now moving on to your insurance tip of the week. I'm gonna go with this real estate investment theme because we do have a lot of people with investment properties. And so you can kind of do it two ways. You can insure them individually, which is generally less expensive, sometimes more to manage, You may have different effective dates, they come up at different times, you've got different billing, you may have different companies. Or you can put them on one commercial insurance policy, which is generally more expensive. However, we are in such a hard market right now, driven by claims cost and inflation, that I'll be curious over the next year or so if those personal policies, um, the individual policies, creep up so high that a commercial policy is suddenly a lot more. Interesting. We'll go with interesting. All right, Texans, 
Thanks for being here. Please connect with us at GiveAgencyDallas.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'll see you again next week.